This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. Ashley Grives is one of New South Wales Harness Racing's most popular girls. A daughter of Bathurst trainer Michael Syker, Ashley has been involved with harness horses since early teens and had her first race drive in 2006. In the ensuing 13 years, she's earned the respect of the industry as a race driver and a trainer. In the 2009-2010 season, she made a bold statement when she became the first New South Wales female driver to top the century on her way to an amazing 160 wins for the season. In recent years, she's had the good fortune to own, train and drive a wonderful race mare called Amaretto, who cost Ashley a mere $3,500 at the 2013 Bathurst Gull Crown Yearling Sale. Amaretto went on to win 27 races and register 20 placings for a prize money tally of $565,000. Ashley won 17 races with Amaretto, who got to a very tight market Menangle, where she was running great personal times without winning. The decision was made to send the mare to champion Victorian trainer-driver Karen Manning, who won another 10 races with Amaretto, including the Group 1 Queen of the Pacific. Amaretto suffered a slight suspensory ligament strain over a year ago and Ashley gave her a very long spell. She was right on track after three recent Bathurst trials when she suddenly came down with an acute bout of colic. She was treated at a Bathurst vet clinic where it was suggested she should be taken immediately to the Agnes Banks Clinic near Richmond. The first surgical procedure seemed to go according to plan but Amaretto remained very distressed and the decision was made to operate a second time. The Bonnie Mare failed to recover from that second procedure and was put to sleep soon after. It's been a trying few weeks for Ashley and her husband Ryan who were really looking forward to having their old favourite back at the races. Ashley, thank you for joining us at a very difficult time. Thank you, John. You were going to run us some weeks ago, but changed your mind apparently when the air quality became a concern in and around Sydney. Yeah, we've, um, at our training establishment here in Bathurst, we have suffered the smoke from the surrounding fires for probably a good month now, um, mm. where the Wallamai um, fire, which is now, um, uh, well, it's like even last night at Lisco, it's done quite a lot of damage, and we've been getting the smoke off that, um, as well as the one out sort of, you know, mudgy way, so far away. So, yeah, we're sort of a bit surrounded at the moment, and it's made it very difficult to, to train the racehorses, that's for sure. 
Did you actually nominate Amaretto for another race the following week? Yeah, so I had her nominated probably a month ago and decided that we didn't want to um, put her in the float and travel her the direction of the smoke and then mm. have to run at Menangle, you know, first up in, in quite some time. I think it was 14 months since she'd had a race start. So mm. that week we, we scratched due to the air quality and um, we sort of got a bit of relief um, the the couple of weeks after that and we sort of continued to train her and she trained out well and I nominated her a fortnight after that. Mm. Um, and again, uh, it was actually uh, the stewards announced that you could scratch penalty free. The fires weren't, the fires were actually quite bad then around the Oaks area at Menangle. We were still suffering the Lithgow one. So she was going to get again, another smoky trip. And then um, the air quality then at Menangle wasn't great either. So no. again, we didn't want to risk her. So I scratched her and then, um, yeah, we just, it all went downhill from there with um, with the condition she had, unfortunately. Now, what were the symptoms, Ashley? Just take us through it, if you don't mind. When did you first realise something was wrong? She just looked unhappy? Yeah, she just, she presented with um, just mild colic at the time. Um, and I, I treated her with um, phenidine, as you do, and I gave her an um, electrolyte saline and we just walked her, just kept walking her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nine times, or, you know, I haven't had any trouble with horses with colic. You know, we sort of, because we see them, you know, three, four times a day, we usually get on top of it quite early if you do spot mm-hmm. spot a horse with colic. And, um, and yeah, so we got it as early early as we could, I, I presumed, and, um and so, yeah, that she just, she was mild, but she probably just didn't respond to that treatment at all, really, which no. was quite odd. Um, and I was a little bit concerned. So that's when we um, decided to to get veterinary advice and, and take her um, to the veterinary clinic, yeah. Mm. Uh, so they did they make an early diagnosis before you moved her to Sydney? Yeah, so I just, um, David Sewell is my local veterinarian at Orange and I rang him and he said, yeah, just run her up. So I took her to him and, um, yeah, like I said, she she presented quite mild. They did a couple of things. They weren't too concerned. He said, look, because it's her, do you mind if we just keep her the night? And I said, no, that's fine. Like, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Like, I, like she's better off in their hands than mine at that time. And um, I not long got home and received a phone call from Central West Equine and they said, look, um, Emeretto probably hasn't again responded. Um, if surgery is an option, it's probably best to get her down to Sydney now rather than later um, in case she deteriorates more. Like she sort of, she hadn't deteriorated at all, but she just hadn't improved. Mm. And um, and so we said, yeah, look, surgery is definitely an option and rather than you know, travel a horse that's really colicking um, later on, it's better to do it sooner. So we did that and um, we got her down to Sydney and, uh, yeah, she sort of, uh, they they did some more tests and decided that that surgery was the only option at that point. Yep, and it was a colon obstruction. Everything seemed to go uh, normally and uh, I think the prognosis was pretty good after the first operation. Yeah, so she had what's called an inner susception, um, which obviously we didn't know, and it's not until you you hear of these medical terms that you know what they are when you go through something like this with one of your animals. But um, mm-hmm. basically, what an inner susception is is when the 
intestine slides into another part of the intestine and it becomes a blockage. Um, And they didn't really know, they couldn't really tell off off the scan how bad it it was. And um, at that point, she said, you know, surgery is quite successful um, and it's it was our only option at that point anyway so we went in and um, Lauren at Agnes Banks did the surgery and she was wonderful and she actually rang me whilst um, she was in in surgery and and informed us of what she'd discovered mm. uh, which was worse than what they'd hoped and she said that um, you know at this point it, the only option is to put in a bypass yeah. to like remove that that intestine that was you know remove all that and basically put in a bypass that could, um, you know, put it all back together, I, I suppose. And um, so we we did that and at that point she said, you know, it's probably a 60% chance, mm. um, which I guess is better than 50, we thought. So, mm. but, you know, we didn't have an option at that point. And anyway, she rang me post-surgery and she said, look, everything went really well. Um, and basically she's got, you know, quite a hard road to recovery now, but she'll be fine, like, provided that we can keep her comfortable and all the rest of it. And um, the next day, Lauren, ran, we actually, Ryan and I headed down back down to see her. Mm. And uh, I spoke to Lauren on the phone on the way, and she just said, look, she's probably not as comfortable as we would like post-surgery. She said she's still showing colic signs, which is, you know, she shouldn't probably be showing any signs, the amount of pain relief and that she's on now. And um, so we got down and saw her and, yeah, she she wasn't in a great way. Um, I sort of, you know, I tried to say positive but felt in my gut that, you know, it wasn't wasn't good not being a vet or anything. But, you know, oh, and you know her so well. Yeah, and... Um, Anyway, Lauren said, look, we'll just see what the next scan brings. And they couldn't find anything abnormal, but she said, look, I just, I'm not happy with how much pain she's still in. She said, mm. would a second surgery be an option? And we said, yeah, like whatever you've got to do sort of thing. So they mm-hmm. went back in and um, she said, look, we're not dealing with anything other than the interception and the bypass that we've put in. She, stood, she was worried there may have been something further up in the stomach or, mm. you know, um, closer to the stomach in the intestine that may have been causing the pain, not necessarily the surgical site. Mm. Um, but she ruled that out when she went back in the second time and she said, no, we're just dealing with, you know, what we were dealing with and it's just a matter of managing her pain now and mm. and getting her through this. And um Anyway, she had a really rough night that night and they just couldn't keep her comfortable and Lauren rang the next day and just said, look, I, you know, she's she's not in a good way. We've had a long night. I can't control the pain that she's in. She said, I've never, she said, I just don't know what the option is from here, basically. Yeah. She said, I've never put a horse under anaesthetic three times for surgery and she said, mm-hmm. I don't think that she would handle it. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I just, she goes, to be honest, I don't know what I'd do at that point to, she goes, I don't even know what I'd do, to be honest. And she mm-hmm. said, I think, you know, the only option at this point is that we we have to put her down. So mm-hmm. it was really difficult, yeah. But um, uh, Lauren did everything she could and of course. Unfortunately, it was just unlucky, yeah. Well, Ash, I think we things. should pay Amaretto a tribute on this podcast. Yeah. What a great, great mayor. Take me back to the 2013 Gold Crown Sale. Now, this <laughs> filly was by Million Dollar Cam. He'd been a pretty good racehorse. In fact, he won a little brown jug. 
and yeah. he'd, he'd made a good start as a stallion in Canada. Your filly was out of a courage under fire mare who was no star, but she had won four races. What yeah. appealed to you about this little filly? Um, well, I actually, I hadn't long been with Ryan at the time and he um, wanted to go down to the sales and buy a horse. Did he? <laughs> so we had we headed down and um, I, I didn't actually really have her marked. She more just grabbed my eye when she was in the ring or in the before they entered the ring and I had a quick look and I had looked up Million Dollar Cam but it was his first season so it was a bit unknown and mm. I knew he'd won the little brown jug in that but it was more just she really walked over herself and she probably wasn't the prettiest horse she was quite long and um mm. like long in the barrel but quite short legged she was not mm. built um that wonderful at the time and um, I don't know, it was just something about the way she walked and she tested out really clean and that and I said to Ryan and I sort of, you know, at that time it was like eight, nine years ago now but um, I liked that if a mare could sort of break two minutes it was always a good sign um, that if they'd won a couple of races and broke two minutes I liked that mm. when I sort of selected and um, and the, and her mum had done all that and I just thought, well, first season sire, like, I guess she'll never know and I thought she'd be cheap enough. So mm, we, um, She was cheap enough, all right. <laughs> 3,000 and knocked down to A. Graves. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, um, <laughs> it was certainly like we just thought she was, she, well, at the time I said, Ryan, well, she's probably only got to win a couple of races and we'll be out of us. So um, yeah. she certainly did that for us. She took us on a ride that we never, oh. never ever expected when we bought her that day. Well, she got going early, winning at her very first start, and she yeah. never stopped winning from that point on. Were her manners yeah. good right from the beginning? Yeah, she was just such a professional. Like, she was, she was a funny little mare. Like, she was, you know, quirky and silly things bothered her like you move a hose and it, she you know it was like she'd never seen it before like she was she was strange in her own way which was quite hard to catch and you know silly things like that but um when the gear went on and she went in the gig she was really just a little professional from day one she clean gated she wore no head check like she just she just did exactly what you asked and I didn't didn't really know how good she was. I, I don't push our babies that much early, but we sort of ran her in around the trials and she's hit the line not too bad, ran about midfield. And I said to Ryan, I think she'll be all right this one. She, mm. But um, after those couple of trials, she really got the taste for racing and she just developed that will to win and she just she had a heart, a massive heart. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you won 17 races with Amaretto. And you suddenly reached the stage where you felt that racing her every Saturday night at Menangle would eventually dim her confidence because she was running fifth or sixth every week against the same horses. Some of her sectional times were unbelievable. Yeah. And you and Ryan had a, a good long discussion about it and you decided to send her to Victoria where you felt it was going to be just a little easier. But not yeah. every trainer would have let her go to another stable, <laughs> Ashley. I, I've always felt it was uh, uh, a, a most unselfish thing that you did. But you yeah. just you couldn't see her bashing her head against a brick wall one one more week at Menangle. No, she just she put so much into her runs every time. She just and it is a hard trip from Bathurst to Menangle. Like you've got the mountains, the changing air quality through winter, like and. 
she was sort of getting bad. She was just at that company where she was getting bad draws and she sort of against the better horses. You had to sort of go back all the time. And mm. her sectionals were always unbelievable. Like she'd blow the clock up and run the quickest sectionals every week, but you're yeah. running midfield and busting yourself to do that. And we just, and then she'd come home and she wouldn't eat for two days and she'd be flat. And it just, it was hard to, mm. to watch. And we thought, do we, you know, do we pull the pin? Honor, she's been such a good horse. Like I didn't want to keep doing that to her. And being a mare, we thought, do we, you know, just stop and breed now? Or, um, and then I have such a good association with Karen, and um, she had Zabibo for us, a little mare we sent down, um, and she did such a good job with her. And I just, I know how well Karen treats the horses. She loves them. They're like her children. Like they're just. I knew that, you know, if she was going to go somewhere, it was to Karen and. Um, we actually took her down for the Queen of the Pacific that year and uh, Karen drove her for me and uh, she actually had a bit of a respiratory um, infection post-race so she didn't run that well but mm. Karen and Grant took her home after that run which was, yeah, it was very, very hard to let her go but I knew, you know, I wouldn't have sent her probably to anyone else. I knew the hand she was in and and they, um, you know, it was the best decision we ever made with her. She um the job they did was just incredible and oh, yeah. and it was really nice to um I guess have the pressure taken off and I got to experience harness racing from an owner's point of view you know like mm. I I was the one that stressed over every day and got her to the races and you know it was just nice to fly down to Melbourne and and just see her in the stables yeah. give her a part wish her luck and then go and enjoy Harness racing from another side, and yeah, let someone else have Karen, the stress. <laughs> yeah, Karen and Grant had the stress of it then, but um, yeah, they were so fantastic, and it, honestly, it was the best decision we made with her because everyone got to see how good she was, and she finally got that Group One that she deserved. And you mm. know, Karen, she even placed at Grand Circuit level, which was something we'd never ever imagined with her, and mm. just so grateful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, your judgment was spot on in sending her to Karen Manning because she won eight out of her first ten, starting yeah. with the Breeders' Crown Graduate Free for All. And there were horses in that race like San Carlo and My Kiwi Mate and Massini, all top class horses. And she won that race very impressively. Then Karen came up with the idea that she'd like to take her to Perth. Now, that was a big decision for you because that's not a cheap exercise. <laughs> no, um, you know, I know being a trainer myself that, um, you know, you do know the horse's best interest at heart and, and you know how they cope with day-to-day, -day, um, you know, their racing and their day-to-day -day activity. And we, we just left it up to Karen and Grant. We just said, you know, treat her like she's yours, place her where you guys want to place her. We didn't really interfere with that. We just let mm -hmm. them do their thing. And, um, you know, there's no point me saying what I feel and I'm not seeing her every day. So no, um, no. We, we, we left all those decisions up to them. And, um, yeah, I mean, the job they'd done, how could you say no? They, they were mm -hmm. going anyway. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we got to go over and have a holiday in Perth and, yeah, it was fantastic. She just got nutted again in, in that group one, but, yeah, it was a great trip. And, and, and great she she covered X's by winning the Norm's Daughter Classic and, and you had a good holiday. Yeah, definitely, yeah. No, she did. She went super over in Perth. We couldn't have asked her to go any better. It just, um, you know, Gloucester Park's a tricky track and it just mm. wasn't her night on the night, but, 
you know, Karen and Grant did a super job with her over there as well. And, and yeah, we had a great holiday. So it was, um, it was really good. Yeah. Well, Karen had two runners in the 2017 Victoria Cup, Amaretto and Mr. Mojito. Now, she was obviously committed to the other horse. So Ashley Grives was reunited with her old mate. <laughs> you got to drive Amaretto again. You ran second. What a thrill to go around in a race like that, the Victoria Cup. You drew barrier two. And I thought you very cleverly wiggled your way into the three-peg spot. <laughs> yeah, it was great to get back on board. I, I was a little – Karen was actually at a wedding that night. One of her good friends got married and she couldn't make the races, so Grant and I took the commitments. And oh, who I drove, drove Mr Mojito then? Karen Grant. Did. Oh, Grant, Grant did. did, right. Yeah, yep. yeah, so Grant and I did the honours that night. But, mm. um, yeah, no, it was really um, – it was such a thrill to get back behind her. I've probably never felt nervous on her, but I did that night because it was, you know, the training and all that was out of my hands and I just didn't didn't want to stuff up the drive with, <laughs> with all the good work they'd put in and, yeah, being a good race and a good draw. And, mm. But it all panned out um, really well and, yeah, it was such a thrill to run to second. Run second. Yeah, and to she, a champion, beat, Lenny the yeah. Shark, with another champion in third place, Tiger Tara. Yeah, yeah, no, she beats, you know, to beat a horse like Tiger Tara that night was a thrill and to get as close as she did to Lenny, it was just, you know, she's just, she was unbelievable. Mm. Now, Ash, you've got some fascinating news regarding her progeny. She has actually produced one foal by embryo transfer. It's a filly by Warrawee Needy. She's about two months old and she's going to be very special to you and Ryan. Yeah, definitely. We um we didn't we hadn't had much luck. We sort of tried a couple of embryos previously, and the first time couldn't get in foal. The second time, the mare slipped, and uh, we were lucky enough to get this little filly on the ground. Um, Die and Rod from Yerby fold it down actually, and it was a bit of a rough start to life with it too. But um, to their credit, they they got her to the uni as soon as possible, and and she's fine now, and she's a beautiful little filly. So. Mm. Um, yeah, we're really, really thankful and really happy to have something on the ground um, mm. and especially being a filly. Mm. Hopefully she can do her mum proud. And mm. um, and we've got another surrogate actually in full now um, to Sweet Lou. So yeah. hopefully hopefully she can hang on to that one for us and, and we can have two would be super. Yeah. Now, your horse involvement started in the saddle rather than the sulky. I think yeah. you were into stock horses, weren't you, early days? Yeah, so I um I was into showing and, and camp drafting our stock horses. Um, my father and my uncle were, you know, they always grew up around them and, and I sort of, my uncle actually, Peter, has quite a successful stock horse um, breeding operation. So he was mm. sort of really into them and I used to show and camp draft some of his better bred mares, like just perform them for him while I was still at school. And yeah, it was something I really enjoyed and still do now, but just um, time, time's a bit of a problem now for that. Mm. But yeah, I, I've always loved the horses and it was more a pleasure thing to begin with than, than the racing industry. Yeah. Mm. Ash, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in a jiffy. 
It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. Now, Ashley Grives, the harness bug bit you when your dad sent you to Victoria to look after a horse called Grin for Seymour, who was in the Victoria Derby heats. He didn't have time to travel, so you got the job and you were instantly taken by the number of female drivers in Victoria. Yeah, I um, I was only quite young at the time. I think I was 15 when Dad trusted me to travel with him and I went and stayed with um, Craig and Beck Turnbull um, at their property in Victoria and Craig was so – and Beck, they were just wonderful to me. Um, Craig sort of taught me, you know, how to drive and where to sit and all the rest of it and, and put quite a bit of time into me when I was um, – just sort of, you know, learning and he did most of the stuff with Grin for Seymour actually. I just probably brushed him and, and took care of him. But mm. um just going to the races with, with Craig and Dad at that moment, just seeing um the girls like there was um Kate Gaff, Karen Manning, like those women were just absolutely dominating at the time and it was probably Karen that really grabbed my attention at that point she was breaking records and and just such a nice humble person she always took Mm. the time out to to say hello and have a chat and you know as a young girl that's um when someone at the top of the sport does take that time out for you it's Mm. something you don't really forget and um just I sort of you know followed her more than anyone then and and just thought wow she's incredible and I oh she is when I when I got home I said to dad that I, I wanted to drive and um, yeah, he, he bought me a horse and that I could learn on and just went from there. He he put the time into me that, that I needed at that time and, yeah, yeah, just it all began then, yeah. Now, Ash, this story has been told many times, but it's so funny I want to repeat it. <laughs> Your very first race drive at Bathurst in 2006, you drove a front-running horse called Stage Left. Your dad said, just lead and you'll win. <laughs> but he didn't tell you to break the track record. What happened? Yeah, so um, stage left. He was he was a really nice little horse. He um he really I owe I owe a lot to him. He put up with quite a bit. But yeah, his first <laughs> first race start, Dad said I must have drawn well, and he had he did have good gate speed. And Dad said you'll just you'll lead this race and and you'll win this. And I thought, oh, <laughs> how good. I'm going to win my first race. And I went out and I got to the front. Everything went as planned. And I got nutted on the line. And I thought, oh, well, I, you know, it was good. I nearly won, but I didn't. And yeah. <laughs> I got back and Dad wasn't very happy with me. And I couldn't really work out why. And he said, what were you doing? And I said, well, what do you mean? You said I'd lead, but the horse didn't win. He said, but you've broken the track record. He said, why'd you go so far? <laughs> And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I thought that the races went quicker than the trials. And he goes, not that frigging quick. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear him Um, saying it. Yeah. So I think he might have backed me that night too. So he might have been talking out of his pocket a little bit as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, eventually. But I soon learnt from my mistake. Yeah. You spread your wings not long after and you moved to Sydney 
where you got a job with the famous Randwick Equine Centre. Now, you spent two years there. That must have been a wonderful learning curve. Yeah, definitely. That was I really loved that job. Um, I learned a lot. I worked with great people, great vets, um, and it's probably helped me later on in, in life as I've become a trainer myself, just with little, you know, just looking for early signs of things and knowing how to bandage properly and, you know, all the day-to-day stuff that mm. comes with horses. It's, you know, it's good to have that knowledge in the back of my head, but they were so good um, to me at the time because I was just starting out in harness racing and I was starting to get quite a few catch drives. So um, they let me go to any race meetings that I needed to commit to, but um, I'd sort of make up. I was doing a lot of the billing and stuff then as well as the nursing. So I'd sort of do the nursing in the morning, go off to the race meetings, and then I'd be on my laptop doing all their billing and that at night. So it was pretty full on, but I was very, very lucky to have um, an employer that, that would allow me to do that because it's very hard to, you know, work full time and get to all the race meetings. So mm. that worked really well for me. And yeah, they were just a great bunch of people. And, and the, yeah, I really loved it. It was great. I was at Bankstown the day you became the first female driver to top the ton for a season. And the horse to give you that magical century was called Master William. Uh, that was a moment you'll never forget, but you were only just getting warmed up because you finished <laughs> up driving 160 winners that season in New South Wales. Yeah, it was an incredible season and, um, you know, we did the hard yards. We, we didn't really miss a meeting and we had a really good um, stable at the time of, you know, nice horses coming through and a really good bunch of owners, which I obviously couldn't have done it without them. But, um, yeah, it was a season I won't forget, that's for sure. <laughs> I remember a race uh, they ran at Harold Park for a few years, I can't remember how many, called the Queen of Hearts, exclusively for female drivers. And I can recall one year Paul Fitzpatrick, who was the leading trainer, putting you on a very nice mare in that race. What was her name? Uh, that it was Indeed, that mare, I think, from memory, Indeed, that's yeah. the one? Yeah, yeah, she was. I actually had to get special permission to, to drive in that race because I didn't have a Metropolitan licence at the time, but there wasn't a lot of female drivers around to fulfil, um, you know, the engagements of the race, and I got special permission off the stewards to actually fulfil that race, that drive and I ended up winning the race. I was, yeah, it was I honestly it's one of the races I won't forget winning. I, I couldn't believe it at the time and um I was only young. I think I was, you know, maybe 16, 17 at the oh, time yeah. and to drive for someone like Paul and and such a lovely mare like that and he let me keep the rug that she won and yeah, yeah. it was just, you know, as a young girl that was um yeah, definitely a moment I won't forget in the sport. Pretty special. And Ashley, yeah. uh, you'll be able to tell your grandchildren <laughs> that you won a major race at dear old Harold Park, which yeah. is coming up to nine years since its closure. Yeah, unbelievable. But I d- definitely miss Harold Park. It was some good times had there, that's for sure. Now, your two sisters, Amy and Mackenzie, tried their hand in the trotting game for a while, but both have made the decision to pursue other avenues. Yeah, so Amy, um, she had a... a bit of a go at driving um oh a few years ago now but 
just family commitment made it difficult for her and um, they ended up moving to Sydney for work. So um, it was only short-lived, but she drove a winner or two maybe and, and enjoyed it, yeah. But um, I think they probably realised too that when you're out there, it's not as easy it does, as it does look. <laughs> it, 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 and, uh, it, ain't, it ain't as easy as it looks. No, and Mackenzie probably learnt that. I think she, because Mackenzie actually, her trials and all that were really good, but race day she sort of made um, a few wrong decisions and probably didn't cope that well with the pressure of it and, and you know, not, not doing the job right. You know, you've only got a split second to decide and it'll make or break you and uh, she probably didn't cope with that that well. <laughs> now let me learn more about this husband of yours, Ryan Grives. He's a Bathurst lad. He yeah. was a builder bricklayer by trade with absolutely no horse background, now you tell me there's little he can't do with them. <laughs> yeah, no, Ryan didn't have much to do with them other than just, you know, watch him, watch him on the TV and have a bet on them. So he's, um, he's really good with them. He helps me every day with them, um, you know, whether that's feeding him, working him. He can track work and he's helped me break him in. And, yeah, he's actually, he's very kind with them. Like the horses are quite relaxed. He has a relaxed approach and the horses are sort of quite relaxed around him and mm. he loves his animals so he's always you know going to be fine once he sort of learnt the ropes a bit but yeah he's really good and, and a really good hand for me. About 14 months ago you and Ryan were blessed with the arrival of a darling little daughter called Dulcie who has changed your lifestyle dramatically. <laughs> are you enjoying it? Yeah she certainly has she's um Full of spirit, that's for sure. But yeah, she's um, she's a cheeky little thing, and she she loves the horses. She's already wants to pat them, and yeah, she's she's a character, that's for sure. And certainly, um, you see life in a different light, and mm. your priorities certainly change. And yeah, I, I love being a mother. It's it's great. It's um, yeah, she keeps me busy, that's for sure. <laughs> it's highly unlikely she'll follow Dad into the building and bricklaying trades. <laughs> But she may well fall in love with horses just like her mother did a long time ago. I think so. I think that it's just in you, isn't it? I think, you know, and seeing them from such a young age for her and already wanting to to pat them and have a connection with them, I think it's probably already in her DNA. So I'm not Mm. sure she'll have much choice there. (laughs) Last time we spoke, you had a full brother to Amaretto in work who's now a four-year-old, according to my calculations. I notice he's won one race from 22 starts. Now, you told me back then that he was small and immature and needed plenty of time. He's in work currently, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He was probably just starting to go well and then the last month has been difficult with the smoke. But, yeah, he was a very frustrating horse. He's um just... Yeah, he just he's Stephen still. He's four and he's like a baby. He just... Mm. He's got ability... Um. Unfortunately, not as much as Amaretto, but no. um, just his head's not mature like hers, and and he's gay, like he's just a bit of a bit of a sook. But he he does have ability, and, and he will be a nice horse in time. He, mm. as silly as it sounds, he actually goes better at Menangle. Um, he's better runs like he ran second down there not long ago in a country final, and mm. and his sectionals are pretty good that night. He just he he doesn't like to be crowded too much and he's just he's a funny little horse but a big truck like Menangle is probably where he needs to be at this point should his mention career, his but... name ash he's called allegretto yeah yeah 
So, yeah, I, I, I've always liked him, but he's, he's been certainly a project. Um, he didn't just get up and go like Amaretto did, unfortunately. <laughs> You've had some loyal owners over the years, none more so than Queensland's Greg Brody, who's been a prolific horse owner for decades now. His yeah. best horse was the champion Courage Under Fire. Now, you bought a horse from Greg called Atom of Courage, which was domiciled in New Zealand at the time. Greg has a lot of horses in New Zealand. And that's how the association began. Yeah, I um, I was looking for uh, John Bryant, one of our good owners at the time, wanted to buy a nice horse. And um, I actually, I approached uh, Mark Jones at the time about Adam McCourage because I, I I sort of more just, you know, followed the racing over there and if there was a horse I liked, I more contacted the connections to see if they'd sell and um, they didn't want to sell him at the time and um, we just sort of didn't worry about him and then uh, it was probably maybe six months later they said if we were still interested, they'd sell him now Mm. and um, John was still interested at the time and so we purchased him from Greg and, uh, yeah, he he came over and he did a really good job. He he was a, a tricky horse, but um, he he yeah he was a nice horse that's for sure. And uh, he actually made the chariots of fire that year. And mm. um, Greg contacted me and just said, you know, what a wonderful job I I've done with him. And he didn't expect that he sort of you know do the job that he did over here. And mm. um, just basically congratulated me. And and not long after that. Um, Greg was putting horses in the stable, so yeah, it yeah. was um, it was a good thing we bought that horse. <laughs> yeah, because I've had it had an association with Greg since, and he's been mm. such a wonderful owner to train for. Um, just never any pressure, and the horse always came first, and that's you know that's that's the owners you sort of hope and dream for in this mm. industry. And um, when I got the horses, when I first got horses for Greg, and I spoke to him on the phone, and he said, "Look." I don't need the prize money and I don't bet. He said, as long as my horse comes first, I'm happy. And it was mm. just, you know, that's music to your ears. As a trainer, you can just get on with the job and make sure that the horse is always in good order and, and you know, you win some, you lose some, but there's never any pressure, which is which is nice. Mm. Well, Greg Brody sent you a good one later by the name of Lockenver. God, you had some fun with him. You won 24 races with that horse, including yeah. a truer memorial. And he ran 36 placings, Ashley. Yeah, he was just, he was always um, just a notch below the the top horses, but he was a really nice little horse. He just, he turned up every week and and he just, yeah, he did an incredible job. Um, Yeah, I I loved him. He was great. And uh, he, again, it's funny how connections start because I've actually, his breeder, Paul Clark um, from New Zealand, has contacted me since, you know, us having Lock and Bar and I've built quite an association with him now. Um, and so, yeah, it's just funny how things work out. But mm. it's you seem to do a good job with a certain horse and there's other connections and it, it sort of builds your connection with people. So it's, um yeah, Lock and Bar's... Um, he certainly helped us build the stable, that's for sure, through the years. You're going to miss your Bonnie Mare terribly, Ash, but I know the yeah. memories are indelible ones and you're going to love watching those videos when you feel <laughs> up to it. You'll find down the track a bit they'll be very good therapy. Yeah, I'm not quite there yet, but no. um, as sad as it is, I'm very thankful that we got her. She, um, you know, like when we bought her that day at the sales, we 
certainly never expected anything from her like what she produced and um, she took us on the ride of a lifetime and I know that a lot of people in the industry will never get to experience that even though they've you know bought a lot of horses and invested a lot of money it's just you know you're lucky to get one and we were lucky enough and I'll be forever grateful of that and I'll never forget it. Well, you'll be watching that little Warrawee needy filly very closely from here on. She's <laughs> only eight weeks old. She's out of Amaretto by a well-credentialed American stallion and uh, I'll be watching closely too. Ash, be sure to let us know her name when you finally get around to giving her one. I will, yeah. I hope that, you know, she's got big shoes to fill, I'm sure, with a big following, but, you know, I just hope that she can do her proud to some degree. If she's half as good, we'd be more than happy, so, mm. yeah. Ash, yeah. uh, I know this has been a very difficult task for you doing this interview so soon after and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for making the effort and I wanted to hear your personal tribute to a truly wonderful little mare, Amaretto. Yeah, thank you, John. It has it has been difficult but I'm sure a lot of people want to hear it and she had, you know, she actually did have such a big following. Like we had people message us and ring us all the time to see you know, where she was at and when she, whenever she'd put in a good race, you know, she she certainly deserved the tribute, so I appreciate it. Thanks, Ash. Lovely to have you on the podcast. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales.